we really have to think about, you know, who was it that, that, that modeled self-care, self-love and rest for you? What were the messages that you received as a young person about the value of rest, the value of spiritual practice? And then I think it's really important for us to be able to identify exactly what our resistance is to resting. Because it's really easy to say, oh, you know, I I can't fall asleep or I can't rest or I I can't sit still, right? But when we inquire, the question is why? Because when we uncover why, then we have a chance at finding what the antidote is. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode 102 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to Clean Crafted Wine, since we're now deep in the heart of holiday season. Did you know that mass-produced wines contain chemicals, additives, pesticides, added sugar, and high amounts of sulfates? As you know, Stephanie and I are both passionate about clean living from the food that we eat, the water we drink the products we use in our homes and on our skin, and this is why we also love Scout & Cellar wine so much. We joined this company because of their mission and values, um, their desire to create clean crafted wine. They partner with these small farmers around the world, and they make it really easy to have the wine delivered right to your door. So what is clean crafted wine? It's typically produced on sustainable farmland, created in small batches, lab tested for quality, and it contains zero chemicals, added sugar or additives, very low sulfites, and it's, like I said before, independently lab tested twice before you enjoy it. We have so many favorites, so please reach out if you'd like our current list of recommendations. And just to name a few of our favorites, we love the Dove Hunt Dog label, Conte de la Terre, I Love Middle Jane um, at Nico. So if you're interested in trying out the wine risk-free, simply click the link in our show notes. And if you're ever not completely satisfied with your wine, Scout and Cellar will always do the right thing and refund or replace your bottle even after you already drank it. So check out Scout and Cellar and let us know what you think. Also, before we dive into today's episode, we would be beyond grateful if you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It takes just two minutes and really helps us reach more people so others can benefit from the inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. If you're enjoying the episode, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend, family member, or really anyone that you think may benefit from the information. 
And of course, feel free to share it on social media as well. And now we are thrilled to introduce today's guest, Tracy Stanley. Tracy was first introduced to the practice of Yoga Nidra in 2001. She immediately recognized it as a healing cell for the world and began to incorporate it into her life and her yoga teaching. She left her high-stress career as a Hollywood film producer to delve deeper into the study of the practices that were empowering and rejuvenating her so she could share them with others. With over 20 years of experience, practice, and teaching in the Himalayan tradition, Tantra, and Sri Vidya, she also understands the demands of life as an entrepreneur, wife, and stepmom. Her effortless way of sharing ancient teachings in accessible ways is her superpower. She travels extensively to offer yoga, nidra, meditation, self-inquiry, teacher trainings, and workshops. Radiant Rest, published by Shambhalaya Publishing, is her first book. We had such a beautiful conversation with Tracy, and her voice alone is so calming. Um, We loved learning all about yoga, nidra, and what it actually means and how one can start to practice yoga nidra. We also dove into her new book, Radiant Rest, which was written to help a person develop um, a powerful practice of deep relaxation and self-inquiry. And we talk about how that book and the accompanied downloadable audio meditations can really help a person. Tracy provides tips for people that are struggling with insomnia, and in general, just lack of rest. So let's jump right in with Tracy. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Sauna. It's time to relax, rejuvenate, and renew. Everybody wants to feel better. Everybody wants to be healthy and happy. Good Health Saunas is proud to provide top-of-the-line infrared saunas that deliver the most impactful results for overall health and wellness. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis can help you feel amazing. Numerous studies have been done to show the power of infrared sauna use to help you sweat. Health benefits of regular sauna use may include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. There are a lot of reasons people buy good health sauna. I just recently bought one at the Minnesota State Fair and I am loving it so far. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff have been amazing. They answered all my questions and they did a fabulous job with the installation. I look forward to my new evening routine where I take a 30 to 40 minute sauna before I shower and go to bed. And I love how relaxed I feel and more importantly, how I am adding to my overall health and happiness. And best of all, it's a great way to remove toxins from my body daily. Good Health Sauna provides commercial-grade infrared saunas for in-home and commercial use. Backed up with the best warranty in the industry, lifetime guarantee, and unmatched customer service. They have three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota, and two in Wisconsin, Appleton and Waukesha. For more information and to purchase online, Go check out your special offer at www.goodhealthsaunas.com slash the art of living well. Hi, Tracy. We're so excited to have you as a guest on our podcast today. 
I first learned about you from my mentor and friend, Betsy Weiner. Um, Years ago, she suggested I buy your Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Oracle deck. And Mm. I really loved the format of that deck, the 40 days of 40 questions. And, you know, I went through that deck a number of years ago and really enjoyed it. And more recently, I had asked Betsy about, I told her I wanted to do a meditation training and she recommended you immediately and referred me to your course. And I took that during the summer of 2020, which was a great summer to be doing that during the height of the pandemic and lockdown. And I, those sessions together just like really helped ground me during the summer. So now here we are today. I've wanted to have you on our podcast since I took that course. So I'm so happy that you're here today. Um, Well, thank you for having me. I mean, first, I want to say we love Betsy. So thank you, Betsy, for making the connection. Um, And the meditation teacher training that happened in 2020 was a really powerful uh, training, not because of me, but because of everybody that came to the training and the time that we were in. It was really potent and it was really I think a great example of how to use the practice in life. So thank you for reminding me um, about that cohort because it was, it was really special. Yeah, it was, it was a powerful class course, I should say. Um, Anyway, so I know everyone has a story and we would love for you to share your journey and how you discovered yoga Nidra and left your high stress career as a Hollywood film producer to delve deeper into the practice that you found rejuvenating and it empowered you and ultimately led you to publish the Oracle cards and then your book, Radiant Rest. Wow. Well, that's a long journey. Do we have like (laughs) 50 hours to talk about that? (laughs) In a nutshell. nutshell. (laughs) I'll try to make it as short and sweet as possible. Um, So, you know, my yoga journey really began when I had a moment of spontaneous meditation and I didn't know what happened because I was just kind of minding my business, sitting on my balcony, watching the sunrise and everything slowed down to this kind of pinpoint moment of peace and stillness. And that kind of sent me on an exploration to figure out what it was that actually had happened in that moment. And luckily I had someone um, in my life at that time who pointed me in the direction of a spiritual bookstore and handed me a bunch of books and said, read these. Um, And so I started with self-guiding myself through meditation, um, through one of uh, Harsh Johari's books on the chakras had no idea what the chakras were, had no idea what I was reading really. Um, But the experience that I had of meditation was so profound just with the self-guiding because this is before the day of having like, you know, an audio that you can do on your phone. Um, And then when I got back to the States because I was living overseas at the time, I started to look for meditation, places where I could learn about meditation. And at that time, one of the only places that was uh, really around was like the Zen meditation center. Um, So I started meditation there. 
and then eventually found my way to yoga because of the physical part of yoga. I was a receptionist at the time. So I was like this all the time on the phone. And I remember going to get a massage and the woman who was giving them, me the massage said, you know, you should try yoga because your spine is going to be really curved by the time you get older, if you don't do something about it. So I didn't know anything really about yoga. And I found my way into a Kundalini yoga class and practice Kundalini every day for about three, four years until I actually found Hatha yoga. Um, and then was practicing both. And at some point I found a translation of the yoga sutras and I was going on a yoga retreat. So I thought, oh, I'll just take this, this yoga book with me, <laughs> you know, this, this light reading <laughs> yeah. with me on, on, the, on the yoga retreat. I had no idea what the yoga sutras were, which illustrates a little bit of an issue because I had been practicing yoga for by that time, probably five years. And maybe someone had mentioned the yoga sutras, but the importance of the yoga sutras had not been highlighted. And so I took this uh, translation of the yoga sutras with me on retreat. Um, I immediately upon starting to read it, felt this vibration kind of running through me. Did you ever have that feeling where you opened a book and it was like vibrating with the frequency? And I paused on one of the sutras, which was Sutra 136, um, that talks about this place within us that is this light that is beyond all sorrow, that is beyond all conditioning, all experience that is eternal. And I thought, wait a second, this is like not anything I've ever heard before. And this is one of the promises of yoga that we could actually begin to touch this place. And what I would say now is that we actually get to remember this place. So I did a, a real kind of shift in my practice where I started to look for teachers who were able to kind of lead me towards this understanding and a little bit more philosophical and philosophy-based rather than asana-based and understanding that there was more to yoga than just the postures that I was doing and trying to like hold handstand in the middle of the room. And so that's what began the journey. Uh, luckily, I was um, already in my career as a film producer um, when I discovered yoga. Um, I was actually an intern at the very beginning of my yoga journey. But when I discovered Yoga Nidra, which was probably about six, uh, let me think about that, probably about six years into my yoga journey, um, my career was kind of taking off at that time. I was very busy. I had a whole team of people that worked with me. And I was introduced to the practice really kind of unceremoniously. It was in the middle of a satsang with a teacher and the teacher at the end said, lay down, I'm going to lead you through a practice. And I thought, well, this is really weird. We haven't done any movement whatsoever. And we're laying down in Shavasana. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and so I was led through a practice that I would now probably call something closer to deep relaxation um, as a technique. But when I you know, first of all, it was like, okay, we're on the, the right ankle. And now all of a sudden we're like 
you know, coming to what, what happened? Where did the time go in the midst of this? And at the same time, I feel like I touched the same place that I did when I was on that balcony the very first time. And so it was a remembrance of this feeling of like inner stillness and inner peace. Um, and I started to practice with teachers um, who were really practicing and teaching deep relaxation as a form of Shavasana, as like a guided Shavasana at the end of class. And when I started doing teaching myself, I started to offer um, these practices of deep relaxation until I learned that they were actually part of the yoga nidra techniques. Um, and, you know, for me as someone uh, with a very busy life, um, you know, working 16 hour days was very normal um, in the film business, even longer sometimes. Um, that what I noticed was that my yoga practice and specifically my yoga nidra practice allowed me to feel more rested with less sleep. And it allowed me to be more clear, more joyful, and also to actually be more productive because I was able to kind of creatively and innovatively figure out solutions to problems much more quickly. And so that was the journey that kind of started to infuse yoga nidra into my daily life and into my work life as well. Um, that has kind of led to where I am right now. Wow. What a beautiful, what a beautiful story. Um, and, and you know, what you kind of said at the end was that yoga nidra and these practices allowed you to feel more rested and clearer and more joyful and more productive with less sleep. I mean, I think that's going to attract, you know, a lot of our listeners right now are probably like, Ooh, how do I do that? Right. But before we dive into and unpack everything today, can you just explain what yoga nidra is? And I know it sometimes it can be hard to explain and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but for a lot of our listeners, even those who may be practicing yoga, they may not have heard or at least not experienced yoga nidra. Mm, thank you. That's a great question. So, you know, yoga nidra is translated as the yoga of sleep, right? And it really is this place where we consciously and intentionally bring ourselves into a state of deep sleep. And while we're in that state of deep sleep and on the journey towards the deep, deep sleep, we are weaving our awareness and our consciousness through all of the states of consciousness. So we can think about yoga nidra in a few different ways. I think the way that we most are familiar with it is as a technique, right? Is that we say we're going to go and do yoga nidra, just like we say we're going to do yoga, right? We don't actually think about yoga as a state of consciousness, right? We think about yoga as something that we do or that we perform, and yoga nidra is also a state of consciousness that's said to be very close to the state of samadhi, right? Which is, let's say, the final goal of yoga. It's the eighth limb of yoga. So that's kind of taking us back to the yoga sutras again. Um, yoga nidra is also a goddess that is referred to in some of the texts, uh, like the Devi Mahatma. And so we can think about yoga nidra 
as a technique that leads to the state of consciousness that is yoga nidra, peace beyond words, samadhi, the void, and also the goddess or the divine feminine force that presides over the entire journey, because this is a journey of nurturing. It's a journey of being held. It's a journey of being surrendered into the earth and allowing yourself to be held and to trust that you are unconditionally loved, right? So yoga nidra is this practice that is a technique of systematic deep relaxation that allows you to move in to a place of deep, deep rest. And so it's so many things that it's really hard to try to put it in a nutshell. Um, but I would say that most of what we refer to, um, and this is something that Swami Veda Bharati talked about a lot, um, that what we refer to as yoga nidra is actually just the preparation for receiving the state of consciousness that is yoga nidra. So even though we say we're doing yoga nidra, or I could you know, say I'm a yoga nidra teacher, I'm not teaching yoga nidra. I'm actually teaching the techniques that lead to you being in a, a place where it's possible for that grace to descend. Right. And, and, and that's through like, you know, the way you position yourself and the way you breathe and all of that. Right. It, it is through, it can be through a lot of things, but the way that it's generally taught is that the body needs to be fully supported and comfortable. And that, posture of support is different for everyone. So we really have to give ourselves permission to kind of explore the use of props, the use of blankets, the use of different ways of positioning the body, uh, especially if we're someone who has suffered from trauma or PTSD. Um, we're also being asked to be aware of the breath, right? And so we, we know that when we start to pay attention to the breath, our awareness starts to move inward as opposed to outward, right? So we start to move more into this place of pratyahara, which is withdrawal of the senses. And at the same time, when we breathe diaphragmatically, we start to um, bring ourselves more into a rest and digest mode and away from fight or flight, which is that place that most of us are in all of the time, right? With all of the things ringing and all of the buzzing and <laughs> social media, whatever else. And so the rest and digest mode allows us to understand that, yes, we can release and we can relax. And as we start to do that, then we may actually be brought into a place where we're being asked to bring awareness to certain parts of the body. Right. And maybe we're being asked to relax those parts. Maybe we're being asked to just visualize things there. And we can really start to deepen our concentration, which allows us to drop into this place of, that's a little bit more meditative, that then allows us to move deeper as we're guided into this place of deep sleep and deep relaxation. So as we moved through all of those kind of things, 
we can think about the eight limbs as well, right? So we already know that hopefully we're practicing the yamas and the niyamas and we know what they are. And if there's people listening and we need a refresher, I definitely recommend to go back and kind of look at the yamas and the niyamas because those are ways in which you can uh, start to weave yoga into life. But the comfortable supported position is like the asana, right? That's the asana being supported by the earth. And then the pranayam is us being attentive to that diaphragmatic breathing. And that pratyahara is, first of all, we close our eyes. We allow ourselves to release awareness of the senses like sound and touch. And we keep withdrawing our awareness inward. So the scriptures would say like a turtle withdrawing its limbs into the shell. That's what's happening when we're going into yoga nidra. And yoga nidra is also a process of dissolution. So we're also dissolving awareness from the gross to the most subtle. And anybody who's been in Shavasana after maybe a long class has maybe felt that feeling of laying in Shavasana and not really being able to tell where the body ends and the floor begins, where you start to feel like, oh, wait a second, I can't feel my body anymore. I'm actually feeling energy. And this energy is like feeling really expansive, right? And we start to become aware that we're actually more than just the physical body, that we actually are something much greater than that. And so we can think about this idea of pratyahara as being this withdrawal of the senses so that we can reassimilate into our true nature so that we can remember our true nature. And that is really why we have yoga. Yoga is this practice and yoga nidra specifically is this practice of self-remembrance. It's a practice of smirti, of remembering the true self. That's the journey that we take when we're practicing yoga nidra. That is the dissolution, the dissolution of name and form, moving into that which is real. And so that's the deepest version, really. And I shouldn't say the deepest. There's many other things about yoga nidra, but that's one of the deepest kind of journeys of yoga nidra. And at the same time, if you have insomnia or you need to deeply rest, it's a very simple rest practice, right? So you can, you can really cultivate a relationship with the practice depending on what your needs are so I have so many questions <laughs> about that. Um, so in terms of, you, you know, the, the phrase kind of yoga sleep, it, I, I understand that it has both positive and negative connotations for people. You know, I think some people hear yoga nidra and they think, oh, I'm going to lay down and go to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not mm-hmm. going to. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think um, some of that has to do with the misunderstanding of what the practice is, right? The, the practice is not a yoga nap. The practice is actually a practice that is meant to wake you up to your life, right? So there's um, sayings in some of the scriptures that talk about the wise man 
being the one and we can say the wise person, I'm just updating it now, but we can, we can say the wise person is the one who is awake when the rest of the world is sleeping. And that refers to this practice of yoga nidra, of being awake and aware in all of the transitions between waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and what's called the fourth state, which is the fourth state called Turiya, which is said to be very similar to Samadhi. It's said to be a void that's both empty and full. It's said to be peace beyond words. And so it's uh, when we think about this idea of sleeping, we can really think about this idea that we are asleep in the waking state. How many things are we asleep to in the waking state? Mm-hmm. How many things are concealed from us? Because we haven't actually learned, we could say, how to sleep with awareness. And then when we come back into the waking state, we have a different kind of awareness. We have a different kind of wakefulness. We have a different kind of consciousness that's weaving through our day. And so yogic sleep, um, we can also think about the etymology of the word nidra, which comes from ni and drew, ni meaning void and drew meaning to draw forth from, that, there's, that means that there's something that comes back with us from the void. There's something that comes back with us from this practice. But we only get to hold on to it, remember it, feel it, embody it when we are awake, right? If we, it, the normal thing is we go, we do our shavasana after our yoga class, we roll over and we're hop to it, hop to back to the doing. We don't actually savor the liminal space, right? We don't even savor the liminal space when we wake up in the morning, when we have an alarm clock, we buzz right through that liminal space, but there's so much wisdom in that space. It's another transition. It's another void. And so it's one of the reasons why um, I ask people to free write and to journal directly after practice so that there is this retention and of whatever happened in the practice. You know, I can't say what's gonna happen in the practice, it's different for everyone, but at least we can have a way to remember it. I mean, I, and that came from a very jarring experience that I had where I was in a class and I was in a very deep state um, of consciousness and the person who was leading the class was basically running late and it was the last day of the workshop and everybody was needed to get to the airport. So they basically ended the yoga nidra. Everybody was very deep in this yoga nidra. And like a lot of people were very deep in the yoga nidra. And then it was like time to go. We have to leave. And I, and I was like, whoa, this is not this, <laughs> you know, I'm not in a place where I can get into a car and I, and all of these things had happened and wisdom had come in during the practice that I wanted to remember. 
And I knew that if I didn't write it down and I didn't capture it, it was going to just be gone because it was so subtle. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's very powerful. You know, it just sounds like you can, this practice really allows you to tap into your inner knowing. Well, you know, yes, that is the, as my understanding that the teachings of Tantra are about being led to the inner teacher, right? It's being led to the inner knowing. And I feel like, you know, in a time when uh, the external teacher and the outer so-called guru are failing and falling, that it's ever more important for us to cultivate that relationship with our inner knowing and inner teacher. You know, so what I would say is if anyone is listening and they have a teacher who is really making the student reliant upon them for their knowing, if you feel like you're outsourcing your knowing to someone else, it's not to say that you don't have a mentor, you don't have a guide, but that mentor or guide should be guiding you to be self-reliant and to be able to have understanding of what does it feel like to have intuition? How can I build my intuition? How can I touch my inner teacher? How can I have a relationship with my inner teacher? That to me is what yoga practice is about. It's not about having some outside teacher who gets to tell you what to do and how to think all the time. I love that. And I think that's such powerful advice in all aspects of life, not just even in terms of like, you know, yoga nidra, um, you know, about what you eat, about how much you move your body, about how you spend your time with other people. That's all within us. Right. And, you know, we can hire as many coaches and um, helpers, mentors, whatever you want to call them (laughs) kind of people to get that external validation or whatever. But at the end of the day, we all have to look inward. And I love the way you so eloquently said that. Yeah, it's very, it's very important. So can you talk a little bit, Tracy, about how yoga nidra affects our brainwaves? Yeah. So, you know, this is something that um, I can even, we can send a link uh, for the show notes for people who want to go a little bit deeper into this. Um, But in the seventies, Uh, There was a couple named Elmer and Alice Green that worked for the Menninger Institute, and they were actually uh, the pioneers in clinical biofeedback. They had heard that there were people who could shift parts of their autonomic nervous system, so things that should be involuntary, that they could, with their own intention and power of mind, that they could shift things like their blood pressure like their heart rate, um, like the sensors of pain. So there was one guy who could put a needle into his arm and nothing would show up on the EEG that was registering that he was experiencing any kind of pain. Um, They heard about uh, people in India who were able to put themselves intentionally into a state of deep uh, dreamless sleep, AKA yoga nidra. 
And so basically they brought one of the swamis to uh, their lab uh, in, I forget where it was. I think it might've been in Virginia, but I'm not sure. Meninger Institute anyway. And what they discovered was that um, this Swami um, was able to put himself into a state of deep dreamless sleep, moving into theta and delta. And on the outside, he appeared to be sleeping. The brainwave showed that he was sleeping, that he was in such a deep state that all of his external awareness really should have been shut off. There would have been no consciousness, right? And after the experiment was over, they said, oh, well, you, all you did was just go to sleep, right? Because what they could see was that he, it looked like he was sleeping. And he said, no, um, here's the conversation that you were having while you were doing the experiment. And he basically repeated back to them. And so they did this experiment a number of times. They even went back to, uh, or went to India and found all these different sadhus and saw that a lot of them had the very same capacity to be able to do this. Um, years later, one of uh, the Swami students by the name of Swami Veda Bharati um, decided that he wanted to try to replicate these experiments. And so he went to the Center of Noetic Science in Petaluma and basically uh, was talking with one of the scientists. They were put, they had the EEG um, things on his head. And as he was talking, the technician said, hold on a second, wait, he's in Delta state already. And they were both, the Swami and the scientists were both shocked. They're like, no, this can't be possible because we're having a full conversation. And the technician looked back and said, no, he's in Delta state. And so the, the teachings say that um, when someone masters yoga nidra, they can enter the state of yoga nidra at will. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. And so That's in powerful. talking, it's very powerful, right? And so it means that we no longer need the technique. We no so, longer need the technique because we have cultivated such a deep relationship with the state that we can enter the state at will. Have you met anybody that can do that? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Tracy I, if that, you could do I, that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I've met <laughs> Swami Veda Bharati. And what I can say is, and when in talking to the scientist about this experiment that happened, um, he said he didn't know for sure, but that he thought that it could be possible that he had spent so much time in this state of yoga nidra, that it had become almost his baseline brainwave state, wow, right? It's not so to say that there's only one brainwave state that activates at a time. There's many, but the dominant brainwave state was this Delta state. And so who's to know, um, you know, when I met Swami Veda Bharati the first time, I remember him walking into a room of people who were chatting like people do in a yoga workshop when they're waiting for the teacher. And all of a sudden it felt like this wave of calm and peace entered the room. And when I turned to see what was happening, because everybody basically became quiet without even seeing that he was entering the room, it was like his, he had an aura of this vibration. Um, so, you know, who's to say, I think the only way we really know is by practicing 
because the practice is the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're lucky enough to have someone give us a technique and we practice it, we will learn so much more. And yes, we can learn a lot by books. We can learn a lot by teachers, but when we practice, we get to know ourselves at a deeper level, especially with practices like yoga nidra that kind of reveal to us so many things from the way we think to our negative thought constructs, to the resistance that we have to even resting, not only in our body, but in our mind, all of these things start to become very evident the more we practice. And we also then have an opportunity to release and surrender them, right? Whether it's in the practice or with the help of a therapist or with the help of a mentor in addition to practice, but the practice is really the teacher. Well, and as we think about the practice, you know, let's talk about your book, Radiant Rest, because you really um, authored that book to help a person develop their um, deep practice of yoga um, nidra and really look into that self-inquiry. And I know it comes with some downloadable audio meditations. Can you talk about the book? Yeah. So the book, um, when I was asked to write the book um, by the publisher, Shambhala Publications, um, at first I was like, mm, there's, I don't think so, because there's all these yoga nidra books and there's really great yoga nidra books and there's people writing yoga nidra books. Um, and as I thought about it, I thought about a few things because that weekend that I got the email from my editor who would later become my editor, um, I had a few people who asked me, did I have a book on yoga nidra? That I, did I write, a, have I written a book? And the, the reason why they were asking was because they felt like I had some unique perspective about the practice that they hadn't heard before. And it's not to say that other people haven't been talking about yoga nidra in this way, but for whatever reason, at Wonderlust, they hadn't heard this. And so it start, I started to think about um, what I had to offer. And what I felt that I had to offer was really a roadmap to cultivating two things. One, a relationship with yoga nidra. And two, a relationship with inner teacher. Those were the two reasons why I wanted to go ahead and write the book. And how I wrote the book was really a roadmap to how do I cultivate this relationship with yoga nidra in all of her forms in the form of the technique, if I'm a teacher and I want to guide and lead the technique in the form of the state of consciousness, if I want to just journey towards the deepest state of consciousness that I possibly can in yoga nidra. And also with the goddess, whether you want to think about her as a personification or even as mother earth, right? And so that was what was really important for me to do and to also have these self-inquiry questions um, that helped you or help you hopefully to touch the inner teacher, to remember that there's a place of inside of you that knows and knows that it knows. Because I think for me, that's the role of a teacher. It's not for me to write a book and say, oh, I know all about this subject because I don't. I'm continuing to practice and I'm continuing to learn. And the practice continues to reveal to me more and more wisdom and more and more knowledge every single day. So 
So Tracy, one thing I just think about when I'm thinking of, you know, maybe some of our listeners kind of putting myself in their shoes, like rest and sleep. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Right. And like you said, we're in this, we're in a fight or flight mode, most of us 90 plus percent of the time. So, you know, let's dive in and talk about the key benefits of radiant rest and also just, you know, how practically speaking, even can we, you know, encourage people, and I guess they need to find their own path, like you said, but to allow ourselves and and accept that we do need rest and it's our birthright. And, you know, taking time to do this is not going to mean that you're not productive the rest of the day. I mean, you shared early on that it actually has helped you become more productive, but I think, you know, telling someone to do yoga nidra versus a more, you know, physical practice sometimes is a little, you know, I don't know what the right word I'm looking it's for. Ca- here it's counterculture, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's counterculture, um, and I think that what we can do because this also has to do with our memory and our retention, like the experiences and the lessons that we have learned, and the ones that we choose to forget. So the question that I would ask is, when we were in the beginning of the pandemic with the lockdown and you maybe had more time and, you know, because we literally couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) Did you find yourself more rested or less rested? Did you realize, Oh, wow. You know, I have lots of energy or did you realize, Holy crap, I'm way more exhausted than I ever thought I was. Yeah. Is that, a question for me or just it's for a question for anyone listening, yeah. <laughs> right? Is that if you found yourself to be surprised at how tired you actually were, it really means that it was revealed to you the level of exhaustion because you can't, you were forced to come to a full stop. Mm-hmm. You were forced to look at it. There was nothing to do unless you created a bunch of tasks for yourself and there was no missing out on anything because there was nowhere to go. (laughs) Right. And so we really have to think about what is our, and this is why I have these inquiry questions in the book, specifically in the chapter, what does it mean to relax? You know, who was it that, that, that modeled self-care, self-love, and rest for you? What were the oh, messages boy. that you received as a young person about the value of rest? The value of spiritual practice. And then I think it's really important for us to be able to identify exactly what our resistance is to resting. Because it's really easy to say, oh, you know, I I can't fall asleep or I can't rest or I I can't sit still, right? But when we inquire, the question is why? Because when we uncover why, then we have a chance at finding what the antidote is to that. That's a very powerful question. Yeah. I I won't even begin to answer it right now, but. It really (laughs) is. I mean, I had so many things going through my mind, even when you just asked that question. And then when you said, you know, what was modeled for you? 
you know, I'm thinking about what I saw my parents do. And I also have three children and I'm thinking about how am I modeling for my kids? So those are really good questions that Mm -hmm. I am going to dive into. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They're, they're on page, I think 61 in the book. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's very powerful. Yes. Extremely powerful. Thank goodness. My husband does a much better job of modeling rest for our children than I do. So I'm going to work on it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's important. It really is important because there's so many illnesses that arise from not being rested, not being able to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many reasons that can be intergenerational. They can be from society. They can be from being afraid that you're going to, you know, miss out on something. So we really have to identify what is our resistance and then begin to craft antidotes um, to those resistances because they're usually unconscious and they usually weave their way through our life in all facets of our life, which is why that wakefulness that we bring back from yoga nidra is one of the antidotes to being able to heal because it doesn't really allow unconsciousness to thrive when we bring back wakefulness from this practice. How, how do you suggest, like if someone's listening to this, um, how do you, and they're, you know, kind of like, go, 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 go. And this, this would be a big change for them to do some of the things you're talking about. How would you suggest a person takes the time to kind of turn inward on a daily basis or start that practice? Yeah. I think the first thing is to ask yourself, do you want to consciously pause and receive healing? Or do you want to be forced to pause? Mm. You get to choose. Pause now or pause later. Yeah, you get to Mm. choose. And so when you make the, the choice that you want to create conscious pause, then you start in little increments. Because it's really difficult to tell someone who's on the go, go, go all the time to lay down for 45 minutes, right? And a lot of times it's impossible because of the way we've structured our lives that we don't actually have the extra 45 minutes. So what you do is you create these two minute little pauses where you just sit and be quiet and just follow the breath. And maybe if you have a teacher or someone who can share with you the practice of alternate nostril breathing, you just do alternate nostril breathing three times a day for two minutes, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once before you go to sleep. And let that be the beginning of your pause, your conscious pause. And then maybe the following week or two, you start to notice that you're doing it a little bit longer. And then maybe you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to lay down now for two minutes, two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the afternoon and two minutes before dinner. All right. Just for two minutes, just allow my body to fully release and relax. And then let that just be a conscious practice that evolves over time. Again, the practice is going to be the teacher. The practice is going to maybe say to you, oh, 
you're, you're finally letting go. You're finally resting. Here's a little bit more that we can do. And I, you know, it, as if by magic, a lot of times the new technique or the new teacher or the new book or the new podcast will arrive to give you more information because now you've shifted your vibration into one that's actually looking to heal by resting. Well, and this perfect. That seems so manageable. I love it. Like I think anyone, anyone could do that. And we'll link up some examples and video of alternate nostril breathing. Cause I think that's a great idea. And it's so doable the way that you describe it, you know, for two minutes, three times a day, like anybody can do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a whole chapter in the, uh, in the book, it's called the householders flow chapter. And really that came from, you know, so many years of being with people in class where I would make a suggestion for a 40 day practice and they would say, Oh, I can't, there's no way I can do that. I, I have five kids. I don't have time, whatever the, whatever. And so I started to pull some of the things that I had been doing in my own life, working 16 hours a day on film sets. How was I managing and being able to bring that back in to just help people reframe what practices, because that's the other thing. The Westernized version of yoga is this kind of construct of you have to practice for an hour and a half. You have to practice for an hour in order for your practice to be worthy, mm-hmm. in order for it to be a good practice, you can literally practice five minutes of wisely sequenced asana with breath and have the same effect, if not more than some of the classes that are not as consciously taught that are, you know, an hour long. So just thinking more about some things that people can kind of do to instill and um, become more, you know, instill the state of rest that we're talking about. Can you talk a little bit and share your tips on like bedtime rituals and wake up rituals? Cause all that I feel like plays into all of this. Yeah, it does. I mean, the, the idea really, and this is <clears throat> continuing to kind of pull the thread on the householders flow is that you have to, and not that you have to, but one of the things you can do is that you can begin to see your life as a practice, right? Instead of I go to the studio or I turn on Zoom, my life is a practice. So that means that when I go to sleep at night, I consciously allow myself to enter the state of sleep by using maybe some of the techniques of relaxing the body parts systematically that I would do in a yoga nidra practice, consciously observing the breath, allowing my awareness to rest at the heart center and maybe placing a prayer or a blessing or a mantra in my heart center, and then allowing myself to release into sleep. And then when I wake up, I wake up and I have awareness of the liminal space. So I teach myself how to wake up without an alarm clock. And I have the practices in the book. It's called the mental alarm clock. And it's basically a way to wake yourself up without an alarm clock. So Mm -hmm. now you wake yourself up without the alarm clock, and then you're able to actually savor the space of the liminal. And so in that moment, when you are in that hypnopompic state, 
from sleeping, coming into waking, you get to remember the prayer or the blessing that you placed in your heart. And once again, bring that forward as part of your wake up ritual. You get to take a few moments of conscious breathing and picking up the journal next to your bed and either writing about your dreams or anything that comes forward for you in that liminal space so that you can remember, right? And if you have time, you can practice a 15 minute yoga nidra practice to start your day, you know, followed by journaling and your cup of tea and maybe sitting outside where you can let light, the natural light filter in through the eyes. So that helps with the circadian rhythms, which will help you later on when you're trying to go to sleep at night. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the middle of the day or any time during the day where you have moments to consciously pause, you can do those alternate nostril breathing. You can lie down for three minutes. You can literally, if you are lucky enough to be somewhere where you can lie on the earth, you can lie on the earth and you can practice a grounding practice, which is also in the book, which allows you to retune yourself to the vibration of the earth, right? Which people will find very rejuvenating. So these are all little things you can do. Those are all great tips. I am going to go lay down right after this (laughs) (laughs) and do some nostril breathing, alternate nostril breathing, because it sounds really nice right now as I'm listening to you talk about it. Um, So you just gave a lot of wonderful practical tips that our listeners um, can use to get their practice going. And I think everybody should go get your book, Radiant Rest, because clearly it's going to be filled with so much valuable information. I can't wait to read more. I've read some of it and I can't wait to read it further and deeper. Um, So where can people find you? How can they get your book? How can they take some of your courses? Yeah. So the book, if you want to get the book, um, you can go to radiantrest.com. Um, Shambhala is actually offering a, I think it's a 30% off, uh, with a RR30 code. So the code is RR30 and you can get 30% off. As you mentioned earlier, um, Marnie, the book comes with downloadable yoga nidra practices. So you can right away go to page eight and get the special link, um, to download those practices if you like. Um, if you're interested in practicing with me, you can come to empoweredlifecircle.com um, where I'm offering practices. Um, and that's those two places are really good places to start to find me. Getting on my mailing list is also good just to find out about some free things that I do and uh, offerings that I have that might be coming up like trainings, meditation teacher training or yoga nidra training. That's, you know, Marnie, I was actually thinking maybe we should do our, our next book club. We did a book club last year, the first one, this would be a great one because there's, you could do check-ins and really help keep each other accountable, which is what I need when I'm doing anything related to meditation or my yoga practice. I really, really need that. Um, that accountability and the group support. So I'm excited. 
And I've only done idea. one yoga nidra class before. So oh, I need wow. to do more. I know. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah. in, like in person one, you know, like an actual, yeah. not in my teacher training or anything. So it's something that I know I will personally benefit from. Um, and I know Tracy, you mentioned that um, there's a free gift. There's the Tracy's moon nectar, which we'll link up in the show notes too. Yes, that's going to be, um, that's a, a nice yoga nidra practice. Um, the moon nectar practice. Highly recommend um, if anybody loves full moon rituals or doing something special on the new moon or the mm. full moon, it's great to do outside under the light of the full moon. Um, and yes, so that's one of my favorite practices. That sounds wonderful. I hope it's like, I know it's going to be a full moon here in a couple I think a couple of weeks before it gets cold here in Minnesota, because by the time people are listening to this, it's probably going to be too cold to be like outside unless you're really bundled up. You can do it inside and you can just have a window where the moonlight is coming in. And and as you also don't need that because we have the moon inside of us, like we have every other element and every other thing from the outer universe in us. Uh, Yes. That's a very good reminder. (laughs) So, um, Tracy, as we wrap up this conversation, one um, thing we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Mm. The art of living well to me means being able to weave awareness through my entire day and night. Mm. So beautiful and eloquently said. Yes. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for, for reaching out and thank you, Betsy. I'm really happy to have had this conversation with you both. And we wish you a great rest of your day. Yes. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Have Mm -hmm. a beautiful day. Thank you so much for listening to the art of living well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.